Blog Talk Radio. Now, 
$15 an hour is going to be worth 9 bucks an hour. That's about it. And the people are still going to be way behind. All right? So, you know, I, 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 this, this article makes me sick. Mm-hmm. By the, by the, none other than the New York Times. Okay. So, anyway, so let's raise all hopes for the poor people that still have to wait five years to make a living wage. All right. Um, well, I want to read something yeah, on. Go ahead, please. America's working families need action on currency manipulation. Last week, and this is um, Richard Trump talking. I issued a statement on the importance of packaging the customs bill with fast-track trade promotion authority and trade adjustment assistance. If senators actually are serious about strengthening U.S. trade enforcement, it is essential that the custom bill moves forward. Unfortunately, the Senate ultimately took a separate standalone vote on the customs bill. We support the passage of the customs bill, especially the provisions dealing with currency, forced labor, and improved trade law remedies. But it has become increasingly clear that the Republican leadership in the House of Representatives will not pass the customs bill. In that case, it is effectively dead. This means that support for addressing currency manipulation, the number one job killer in the U.S., is little more than a show vote. America's working families don't need theater. They need action on currency. In addition, we remain gravely concerned there will be limited consideration of amendments in a rush to move fast track through the Senate. In 2002, by contrast, the Senate allowed for robust debate, taking three weeks to consider the bill. The Senate should not shut down debate simply to dispose of troublesome of a troublesome bill before heading into a holiday weekend. The labor movement and millions of working families we represent will not be fooled by legislative sleight of hand. The deal Senate Democrats demanded last week to package the custom bill should have stood. If a deal is a deal, is a deal the Senate must not advance fast track before ensuring the customs bill together with its currency provisions and enforcement measures, also will go to the president's death. So who knows? Yeah. Nothing's well, going to happen with that. Well, anyway, the great, uh, our great Congress and the wonderful Republicans and the wonderful Democratic traders and the wonderful people of the world here. Uh, meanwhile, when no one was looking... Uh, paying attention, this happened. The House Representatives today revealed the estate tax for $269 billion. Repealed. I'm sorry, repealed this estate tax for a $269 billion giveaway to the top 2%. The entire cost of the plan will be added to the deficit. So the Republicans who say they can't afford to fix our bridges or pay their health care or education are deficit funding a massive tax break for the super rich. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, yeah. The thing about Republicans is that they tend to be very viewy, uh, to be uh, very, very quiet when they're uh, adding hundreds of billions of dollars to the deficit. You remember the deficit, the thing Republicans say that they don't want your kids and grandkids to pay for. Yeah. That deficit. Oh, yeah. Aren't they wonderful? Anyway. Hey, Connecticut workers uh, are to receive up to $125 million in layoff settlements. That's right. Imagine that. Um, 
I was just moved by kind of a judge here. Yeah. More than 2,700 Connecticut public employees are about to receive justice after a 12-year fight as the legislature is set to approve an out-of-court settlement for an estimated $125 million in back pay and additional leave time. The settlement stems from Governor John Rowland's decision in 2003, I remember this, to fire 2,300 unionized workers and force an additional 400 to take lower-paying jobs under the guise of physical savings. The three-turned governor attempted to break the unions by targeting only bargaining unit members for layoffs. AFSCME Council 4 members didn't back down. Working in concert with the 16 unions that comprise the State Employees Bargaining Agency Coalition to take the state to court and fight the injustice. Yeah, Roland's in jail, by the way, second time. The, uh, the most corrupt, the most corrupt governor we've ever had. So, uh, you know, hail to the cheese, right? The U.S. Court of Appeals ruled in 2013 that the state violated the employees' First Amendment rights to freedom of association by discriminatorily laying off only union members. They concluded that the state employees were fired because of their union membership. Roland's disrespect for the Constitution and the laws he swore to uphold devastated our communities and deprived Connecticut citizens of vital public services, said Sal Luciano, Council for Executive Director and also an AFSCME International Vice President. We stood with other unions to fight back and seek, seek justice, and we won. The long fight was worth it. It said AFSCME Local 562 member Marissa Williams, a state clerical employee who, like many layoff victims, was out of work for six months. It sent a clear message to elected officials across the country that when you target workers, unions, and their families, we will not be bullied and we will not give up until we get justice. The settlement estimated to be worth $100 million and $125 million is pending approval by the state legislature. A breakdown of how much each affected worker will receive is still to be determined. Council 4 members will keep the pressure on the state's legislature to ensure that all 2,700 people rece receive their just due, Executive Director Sal Luciano said. Hmm. Good. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, good. I was glad to hear that. Uh, I remember when that happened. Yeah, I mean, you know, people forget that what, the Roland years, and even now, Roland was uh, governor, governor, former Governor Roland was just indicted again and uh, sentenced to what, uh, three years? I forgot how much. I think he got three years this time. Last time, last time he got uh, in 2003, he got uh, indicted and convicted of. Uh, bribery and all kinds of problem things. And um, he wound up uh, spending a, a, a year in jail. Mm -hmm. He got out of there and then... Uh, Walked into cushy jobs. Yeah, and uh, and uh, payoffs. And then uh, then he, he got greedy and wound up back in jail again, you know, for taking money. So, I mean, the, guy, the guy's a crook, and you know, now he's finally belly up. Oh, boy, okay. I mean... Lila and I were, were, were backing uh, Ned Cole for governor back then, 2002, and uh, walking up and down the state with, with him, uh, you know, uh, filming him with television and radio and everything else we did. Uh, and he was the only one 
out there calling Roland corrupt. Mm -hmm. They all are afraid of him. They are all afraid of him. And uh, but Ned didn't win, but he sure made a big stink, and uh, you know that was the end of that. But uh, we were proud to 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 to, uh, be with Ned on that one.
I couldn't believe that the meat and dairy industry accounts for 47% of California's water footprint, yet no one is trying to regulate the thirsty industry. But here is the most painful truth. California exports 100 billion gallons of water in the form of alfalfa every year to Asia for meat and dairy production. Governor Jerry Brown has declared a drought emergency for the state of California. California residents have been asked to be vigilant and cut back on household water use, but only about 5% of California's water footprint is individual, personal use. This will not help solve the severe problem that we are facing. Join me in asking Jerry Brown to hold the meat and dairy industry responsible for its tremendous water usage and stop the export of 100 billion gallons of California's water to Asia. Wow. So they blame, of course, the people. They're wasting water. They're not oh, serving yeah. glass. Oh, oh absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, 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 I don't know. Uh, it just makes you, it makes you crazy, crazy sick to see what they're doing. You know? It's just it's totally, totally freaking amazing. Well, here's something. We, we only get thought. We're running a little short tonight. We're only doing a 30-minute show because we... Uh, oh, that's what we're doing. But uh, to uh, just to, just to mention, in case you know, don't know, but harmful bacteria may be lurking in your single serve coffee machine. That's kind of scary. Yeah. Um, Since I have uh, one. Yeah, I know. So it's, uh, we're, we're, what do you think, folks? Do you this, have one too? Surprised me. So it says uh, there are some bad news for coffee lovers brewing their morning joe with a single serve coffee maker, according to a swab test conducted by uh, some KDKA TV in Pittsburgh. Over 4 million colonies of harmful bacteria and mold are founded, are founding, lurking, was found, is founding. founding. No, they mean found lurking in the water tank. Found, yeah, lurking in a water tank. They need need some serious uh, spell checking. Coffee pod compartments spout and tray on more than half of the 28 machines tested. The stations say they tested eight machines in Pittsburgh and another 20 in Chicago and Dallas and found strains of bacteria like E. coli, Staphylococcus, Streptococcus, and, pseudo, and Pseudomonias. I can't pronounce that. I thought, of, I thought you would find something, but uh, not something that could make us sick. Cotton machine owner Stephanie Brink told KDA. Um, according to the National Coffee Association, about 20%, 7% of consumers own single-server brewers, such as Keurig or Nespresso, but many people forget to clean their machines on a regular basis. Coffee makers are... Um, Certainly food. a moist environment where mold and bacteria are known to grow in high numbers. Our bodies can deal with them, but at some point they'll go to levels high enough to cause sickness. And uh, Keurig, who's manufacturer of it, told KDKA that if, it, if a machine has not been used for several days, it's important to run several cleansing brews to remove any internal standing water. And let, here are some other steps to, provide mold, to prevent mold or bacteria from collecting in your machine. Clean your machine regularly, run vinegar through it uh, to help sanitize surfaces, use filtered water rather than uh, water straight from your tap, Change the water after each use. Um, leave the lid off to allow the machine to air out. 
and wipe the machine down daily. But we do all of that. Pretty much. Anyway, just be careful, folks. You may be getting yourself sick there and don't know it. Mm-hmm. So let's go on to more. Uh, here. Connecticut's rural roads rated the worst in nation for fatalities. Mm-hmm. But that was, uh, everybody should know that. Who lives in Connecticut? Kind if of you a don't, scary thought. If you don't, well, now you know. Because you just got to be careful around here. Lila and I are experts at riding these rural roads. Live in north northwestern Connecticut. We so, don't do a lot of night driving, though. It's very no, difficult. No, we try not to. Connecticut, Connecticut has the worst rate of accidents in rural areas in the nation, and does not fail well when it comes to rural road conditions. No kidding. Yeah, we According to a new a new report, the town leaders put the blame on speeders from far more than on potholes. Trip, a Washington-based transportation research group, reported Tuesday, titled "Rural." Connections, which rates the state the highest in rural fatality rate, 3.79 per 100 million vehicle miles, six times higher than Connecticut's rate for non-rural roads. The report said Connecticut has 25% of its rural roads in poor conditions. The report includes not only local roads, but straight roads and small towns. Tripp's definition of a rural area is a place outside an, era, an urban area with 2,500 or more population. The thing that really jumps out, Trip Moretti said, is that rural roads in Connecticut only carry 10% of all travel in the state, compared with a national average of 24%. But he said there were 276 traffic fatalities in 2013 in the state. 111 of them, 40%, were in rural areas. Nationally, according to the report, rural roads have a traffic fatality rate that is three times higher than all other roads, 2.2 deaths per 100 million vehicles, compared to 0.75 on all other roads. Oh. Yeah. So anyway, Bob Valentine first looked at Goshen says, roads in towns are generally safe. It has to do with drivers. People are very often in a hurry. Now, that's not true. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why. Because... Um, you know, a lot of the roads around here got a lot of potholes. They got a lot of falling debris after a storm or thunderstorm or storms. They got a lot of lot of uh, and, and poorly plowed. Um, so you know, you, 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 it's really uh, a lot to do with the towns and the state. Uh, you know, maybe it's a financial plowing. thing. I don't know. And it could be a financial thing too because a lot of the roads are old, beat, are old, beat up. A lot of potholes. So I don't. That was it. from the registered citizen, actually. Yeah. Anyway, here's another one. We How read. the school to prison pipeline works. That's yeah. Yeah. School to prison pipeline. Critics of the U.S. criminal justice system say that zero zero tolerance rules at school are allowing police, not principals, to punish students for minor offenses. This has created a school-to-prison pipeline through which American kids are being pushed out of public schools and into the juvenile criminal justice system. AJ Plus partnered with the Marshall Project to shed more light on how the school-to-prison pipeline works and whom it's affecting. Let's see. Uh, Let's put the... Yeah, school-to-pipeline, prison pipeline. 
let's see what they have to say on this. It's kind of short, scary. It's a short video. It's a term that describes how American kids get pushed out of public schools and into the juvenile and criminal justice system. Basically, harsh zero-tolerance policies in schools have led to more suspensions, expulsions, and even in-school arrests. Getting suspended or expelled means more time away from school, and it doesn't take an honor student to figure out that's bad news. In fact, expelled and suspended students are more likely to get held back a grade, end up in juvie, or just drop out altogether. And dropping out of high school makes you three times more likely to get arrested. Back in school, forget about hallway monitors. Students these days often have to deal with school police. Minor offenses that might have landed you in the principal's office back in the day can now actually lead to your arrest. Students of color and those with disabilities are disproportionately affected. Black students get expelled three times more than their white classmates, while a student with a disability is two times more likely to get an out-of-school suspension than everyone else. And it's not because these kids are just bad apples. The Justice Department found that black students got harsher punishments than their white peers for doing the same thing. So maybe it's time our education system got schooled? Legal and Cooperating Council, 
with the Center for Constitutional Rights. Not only does it harm the reputations and careers of students and scholars, but it also encourages censorship of students and scholars, thereby trampling their First Amendment rights and limiting debate in the free exchange of ideas at our nation's schools. The findings include snapshots of incidents that took place on various college campuses since January 2015, including Stanford University, Columbia University, Northwestern University, University of Toledo, Northeastern University, multiple University of California campuses, Pitzer College, and Occidental College. False accusations of anti-Semitism are being employed as a strategy to prevent to pressure campus authorities to suppress speech that is critical of Israel, said Maria LaHood, Deputy Legal Director at the Center for Constitutional Rights. This is troubling not only from a constitutional standpoint, but also because it detracts from and undermines the fight against true anti-Semitism. As part of combating this trouble trend, trolling trend, more than 250 members of Jewish Voice for Peace Academic Advisory Council delivered a letter to the U.S. State Department today demanding that it revise its definition of anti-Semitism to reflect its commitment to opposing hate and discrimination without curtailing constitutionally protected freedom of speech. The definition recently endorsed in resolutions by student government bodies at UC Berkeley and UCLA opposing anti-Semitism incorporates common criticism of Israel's human rights abuses, as Palestine Legal explained in a recent uh, uh, FAQ. Um, you can access today's findings here in full, so... Yeah, so you can go to this site, Palestinian Solidarity Legal Support, and check it out for yourself. And it's important to note that um, to support the right of free speech and criticizing policy is very different than, yeah, I mean, than yeah, criticizing yeah, yeah. A, a people. So I mean, we're opposed to the Israeli occupation of Palestine, but I mean, you know, we're not anti-Semitic because of that. Right? No. So it's like, you know, it's like, uh, can I tell you? Yeah, everybody wants to throw racism at you or anti-Semitism at you. Well, here's here's an idiot who I think is an idiot because he's simply an idiot. Okay, I think the guy has seriously smoked his Smoke, brain top. Smoked too much weed, I think. Yeah, Snoop Dogg uh, is voting for Hillary. <laughs> yeah, right. He says, U.S. needs a woman speaking for global perspective. Yeah, maybe maybe he did a couple of doobies with her. Husband, probably. Bone star Snoop Dogg was asked on Bravo Watch what happens live. Uh, whom he supports in that upcoming presidential election, and he announced the clear favorite was Hillary Clinton. I would love to see a woman in office because I feel like we're at the stage in life to where we need a perspective other than the male's train of thought, he replied. Oh. And just to have a woman speaking from a global perspective as far as preceding America, I'd love to see that. So I'm going to be voting for Miss Clinton. Yeah, well, yeah. This what, Doug? She ain't, she ain't pro, pro weed. Did you know that? No. No. Well, anyway, we've come to the she end of our show. So you'll be the first guy she'll put in jail. Yeah. All right. So anyway, goodbye, good luck, and, uh, you know, it's just amazing. Good night, folks. It's just amazing. 
and support your unions. All right? Yes, support your unions, everybody. And good night, everyone. Good night, folks.